Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. Well, I want to I I want to get started. I want to talk to you about worship and I I want to give you your prayer rooms opening tomorrow. I want to give you if you haven't heard it before or if you have I never get tired of hearing it. I want to give you some vision and context um, for who this community is and what you bring um, to it and what we're about. Um, but before I do that, I just, Jeremy and Ashley, will you stand up? Just stand up. Hey, can we, can we honor these two? I love these two so much. <laughs> yeah the bible says give honor to whom those it is due and you guys are worthy of honor and um i uh there's so much that has uh gone on behind the scenes that I can't share, but you should know that they are worthy of honor on stage, off stage, in public, in private. Uh, These people are people of honor and love for God, and um, you will not find um, any malice or deceit or anything in their mouths or in their hearts, no matter what has come against them. They're beautiful, precious people and wonderful leaders. And when I, we just had an end of year conference in south of Dallas and Cedar Hill. And when I, when I introduced them, I said, these people have mud on their boots and dirt under their fingernails. And for, for me, that, it's deserving of the utmost respect. It's like, um, there's nothing like people who are in the trenches with you. Not only are they in the trenches with you, but they're raising five children and they're married and they like each other and they love each other. And I'm just saying that's a feat. Am I right? That is to be celebrated. And, um, I celebrate you. I love you both. And I'm honored to be here. Uh, So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. So would you close your eyes, Uh, Jesus? We love you here today, Lord. And on January 8th, 2023, at 11.17 in the morning, Lord, a time we've never been in before, We open our hearts to you, and we want you to know we love you. Thank you so much for accepting us. We are weak little people, and you have loved us with an everlasting love. And we want to say back to you, we love you. We love you. We love you, and we want to know you more today. Lord, when we walk out of here at 12 or whatever it is that we walk out of here, we want to be changed. We want to know you more. We want a spirit of revelation here. And so, church, would you ask him with me? 
I want a spirit of revelation. I want to know you more, God. I, I don't want to just hear this woman with big hair talking at me. I, I want to know you. I want to be changed by you. I want my eyes to be open to who you are. For some of you, let it be. May today be a crossroads in your life. May today be a day unlike any other day where your heart came alive to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to perceive. I heard the Lord say in worship, I love sowing seeds here in this community. Because hearts are soft and ready to receive. So, Lord, sow your seeds here. Seeds of promise, seeds of hope, seeds of love, seeds of faith, seeds of your word. Lord, sow them here today. Holy Spirit, help us. We love you, Lord. Amen. So I'm going to take you on a little bit of a scriptural journey. You're going to need your Bible. <clears throat> Yay. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 17. This portion that we're going to read is from when Paul went to a city in Athens. And they were, they had idols up everywhere. And they even had a sign that said, worship to the unknown God. It's like, we're going to cover all of our bases here. <clears throat> and then Paul begins to describe this God to them. And I want to take part of what he said, and then we're going to jump into a portion about worship in John chapter 4. So we'll start in um, verse 22 of Acts 17. Then Paul stood in the midst, there we go, thanks, stood in the midst of the Areopagus, I'm not good at saying that, and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, 
does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So that, say so that. Super important. So that they should what? So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. I'm going to stop there. Um, quick side tangent, Acts 17, 26 has been one of the great promises of my life and one that I declare over people often when I'm praying for them, that God, he predetermined the times and the places that men would dwell so that they would seek him and find him. So everywhere I find myself or someone I love finds themselves, I declare this promise over them that God predetermined that you would be there in the house that you're in, with the roommates that you're in, in the job that you're in, on the street that you're in, with the people that you're with, so that you would seek him and find him. In other words, he's waiting to be found everywhere where you find yourself. God is waiting to be found by you. That's a side tangent. It's a beautiful promise. You think you're there by some situation that you ordained, but maybe God preordained so that you would seek him and and find him. Okay. Here's what I want you to see. We're talking about, Ashley did the announcement about your prayer room opening up, and we're talking about coming into the place of worship and giving God something. And so I want to ask you for a minute, I want you to rack your brain, what could you possibly give God? Did you see what Paul said? Verse 25, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life and breath and all things. When we come in here together at 10 a.m. and we begin to worship him, does he need that from you? What do you have that you can give God? When we call you, when we say, we're, we're opening up the prayer room this week, come to prayer. Do you, do you have a grid for what's being asked of you? Why? why? Why do you need to come to a place and pray and worship? I'm just wanting to get your wheels turning. Because he doesn't need anything. And right now, Hebrews says, by the word of his power, he's holding you actually together. 
the oxygen that like we can't see and we're breathing it in, we're breathing out carbon dioxide, the every everything that is sustaining life right now, Jesus himself is holding together. What do I possibly have that I could give him? It's a good question, right? <laughs> right, Casey? It's a good question. He doesn't need anything. In fact, there used to be a time when he required priests to minister to him. There had to be a shedding of blood. There had to be sacrifices. There was this whole system that I don't have time to get into that he, he required in order to relate to mankind because he's holy. But that's been completely taken care of. Like you and I don't, don't shed blood when we come in to worship, do we? Did anyone bring a lamb? Doves? Turtle doves? No, you, you didn't bring anything, did you? Why? Because you believe what I believe. That there was a once and for all sacrifice made. Do you? I believe that. That there was a once and for all, that there's nothing else to be done to fill the chasm between me and God. That forever of all time, what were we singing today? The most beautiful song. It, for once and all, it's been taken care of. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, you're my... I believe that. Now, I say I believe that, and then sometimes I don't, I don't act like it. I still come into the place of worship acting like I'm earning something, acting like I'm paying penance when I'm giving thanks, acting like when I receive the communion that I need to like make sure that I've thought and said every sin, or feeling like if I, on my drive here, if I was kind and like Christ-like to my children, then I feel good when I come into worship. Anyone? No? Just me? I wanna give you a grid and a vision for what it means when we tell you, hey, our prayer room's open, or hey, we're going to worship, and we're going to minister to the Lord. Oh, did you know that this is what now, as a New Testament church, that God calls us a, a royal priesthood, that we don't just show the world who God is, but we have something to minister to him? So nothing is now required the requirement's been fulfilled. Are you with me? I think you have a doctrine of grace in this house, yes? It's, I, I, I'm pretty sure you know. It's been fulfilled, but there is something beyond a requirement fulfilled. There is something, there is an invitation past, let me dot all my I's and cross all my T's. There is something past living a righteous life. There is something past obedience. 
there is something way beyond, way deeper, way sweeter, way more life-changing, city-changing than walking a good Christian life and doing good works. What is it? There is something that he actually wants. Doesn't, doesn't need and doesn't demand. But there's something that God Almighty has made himself vulnerable to you and what you have to give him. The creator of heaven, he needs nothing. In him we live and we move and we have our being. He gives life to all things. He needs nothing, but there is something that his heart has made itself vulnerable to desiring. And there, after we wipe, if we move all the religion out of the way, which is what Jesus came to do, we move, take all of that out of the way, remove every barrier, we find the heart and treasure of God. And that is what this community is about. It's all, the, all the outside parts have been taken care of. And if they're not, they will be. When we move all the stuff out of the way and we find his desire, and when we find his desire, we actually find our desire and everything changes. So let's go to John chapter 4. I'm going to read this entire narrative, and I want you to read it with me. <clears throat> All right, when you're there, Sam, there. Um, I have this one part in the Passion Translation that I may pull up in a minute. But right now I'm reading from the NKJV. All right. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Interesting phrase. He needed to go through Samaria. Now, if you don't know, um, Orthodox Jews did not... <laughs> They detested Samaritans. They were considered a half-breed of people. And even though from where he was to get to where he was going, Samaria would have been the shortest route, every other Orthodox Jew would have gone way around to not have to go through Samaria. So for Jesus to, quote-unquote, need to go through Samaria, we have our first, what? Why would he need to go through there? He had something. He knew. He had an appointment. Right? Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. I dare you to at some point research what all happened at this plot of ground. It's fascinating. I'm not going to go into that today. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, 
This is one of my favorite phrases in the Bible, being wearied from his journey, sat, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. I just love seeing his humanity. He actually, made, God Almighty made himself get tired. Have you ever just felt tired? And he's there saying, I get you, I know. I had to sit down. Being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. This would have been the very middle of the day, the very hottest part of the day. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. It's a little bold. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, stop here. You need to understand not only our... our Flag number one went up when it said he needed to go through Samaria. Flag number two went up when he looked at a Samaritan woman and said, give me a drink. These were breaking every social and religious norm. He should not have done that. He should not have talked to any woman. Do you know rabbis of that time didn't talk to women in public, even their own wives? So for Jesus to talk to a woman much less a Samaritan woman with nobody else around, was very inappropriate. Are you following me? You guys in the back? All right. Verse 9. Then the woman, she knows this, okay? The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, <laughs> if you actually imagine this encounter, it's very weird. Give me a drink. Why are you asking me for a drink? If you knew who asked you for a drink, you would ask him for a drink. <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, what? <laughs> Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. <laughs> the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock. She's here. Where are you, how are you going to get water? How are you, you don't even have anything. He's here. I have living water. She's not, not getting it, not getting it, not getting it, not getting it. Verse 13. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This is not talking about salvation. This is talking about everlasting life now, today, here, now, all the time, every day. This isn't like you drink once of Jesus and you go to heaven. No, a, a, a fountain of water. springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. 
Now Jesus is about to go. He's about to touch on her thirst. He's about to point to, I know that you are thirsty. And here's the evidence of it. Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you who have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Now, before you go and think like this woman was whatever you may be thinking, you should also know, I mean, maybe she was. We don't know. We're having to put together some context here. But we do know that in the ancient world, divorce was not the choice of the woman most of the time. So this woman, probably because she had no other way of caring for herself, was let go by first husband, second husband, third husband, and had to keep finding a man to take care of her needs. So maybe she wasn't the harlot that we think of her as, but did she feel unwanted, unloved, and rejected? Likely so. She was there at the well in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, not when women went to draw water, right? When all the, all the, like, the good girls got up and went and filled their water at the well, she was not going. Are you following me? This, this woman... So, so now, if, if, we put, if we had a, a rung of, of levels of societal acceptance and Jesus is here, we've got Samaritan, woman, woman by herself, woman on her fifth or sixth man. So the gap of who he is and who he should be talking to and asking of all things for a drink of water is growing, right? Are you following me? She is, she is not the ideal woman for him to be talking to from a religious perspective. But he had an appointment. He had an appointment. Sir, the woman said to him, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So how did we get from, give me a drink, if you knew who asked you, he would give you living water, to you've had five husbands, to now the conversation has gone from there straight to worship. She's trying to engage him in a religious conversation. And he's about to go straight to her heart again. I perceive you're a prophet. Where should we worship? This is what he says to her, verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, worship the Father. Another big what? Nobody thought of God as a father at this point. So when Jesus says, there, an hour is coming when you're going to worship the who? The Father? 
Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is, this is what I want you to see today. What is the Father doing? He's seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Here's what I want you to see, that when Jesus said, I need to go through Samaria, when he effectively said, I have an appointment, he had a conversation, he had this entire narrative is about worship. Water, living water, a thirsty woman, a woman who had gone from man to man to man, a woman who was experiencing great societal rejection and spiritual rejection. This entire conversation was about worship and a father who's looking for something. What is he looking for? A woman who just stayed married to one man her whole life and obeyed all the rules? Nope. What is he looking for? A woman who obeyed all the societal rules and showed up in the morning with all the other women with her, with her jug and filled up her water? Nope. He's look, the father who sent the son is looking for something. And he knew he could find it in this woman that the world said nobody would want anything from her. Can you see the validation that the Son of God was giving this pathetic, rejected woman when he asked her for something? He asked her for something. Does he need anything? But he wanted something. He doesn't need anything from you, a broom, Briscoe, but he wants something. He doesn't need you to follow all the rules. He doesn't need you to fast starting tomorrow through January 31st. Didn't need it. Do you really believe that he fulfilled every requirement of the law for you? Because he's wanting something. He wanted to get all the stuff out of the way so that he could get to something. Give me a drink. How is it that God could ask you for a drink? And the irony of our amazing God is that he asks you for a drink and you bring him whatever pathetic state you find yourself in and you get a fountain of living water when you engage with him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What does that mean? God is spirit. That means he's everywhere. He's unhindered by any wall, by any setting, by any... He's unhindered. He's spirit. He can get through anything. He's not... He didn't... He wasn't here waiting for you to walk through these doors. 
He wasn't, he, he's not, he wasn't more available to you than he was in your car or when you woke up this morning or as you slept when he hovered over you and whispered to you. He's spirit and he's truth. I want, I had, um, I had Judd uh, show us this definition and it says, those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is the word truth. Just take a minute to take this in. That which has not only the name and semblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name in every respect, corresponding to the idea signified by the name, real and true, genuine. Why did this come up? Why did he have to bring up her five husbands and the man she's currently with? before he talked about worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. Well, he wanted her to know, I know everything about you. The Father knows everything about you. And he's still seeking something from you. He doesn't need anything. There is not a one hoop for you to jump through. Not a one. But he has made his heart vulnerable to you. And his one desire is for you to worship him in spirit, meaning you're not hindered anywhere from worshiping him. And in truth, meaning there's no shame here. There's nothing that he does not see, does not know. The very depths of every motive that you have. That there's, that when you come here and you worship him, anytime you step into the place of worship, that everything about you is seen. If you, if you could actually tap in to what I am saying right now, this is the most liberating reality you will ever know. That the perfect, holy maker of heaven and earth sees every little thing and is moved by your worship. Can I tell you a little story about me? Uh, we had so we had a big end of year conference, and on uh, the second or third day, I can't remember. In the morning, <clears throat> I uh, was getting all my kids ready. Everyone was tired and hungry, and hadn't slept enough. And but like we're going, <laughs> and um, I got in an argument with my one of my children. On, on the way there, she was really frustrated with me, like very, because I changed my mind about something I had previously said. Did you know that parents sometimes change their minds? And it's not okay to certain children. <clears throat> so whatever, whatever thing I had said, I changed, and, and she was ticked, so mad. So we're in the car, and... 
how many of you know that when you're on your way to church is when things can get real gross? The enemy loves <laughs> to just bait you. <laughs> your whole drive here, I bet you anything. He's been baiting you all morning, maybe even last night. Just see if she'll grab that one. So there I was driving in the car. And sometimes, like he did with Peter, he takes the voice, the Satan takes the voice of uh, an 11-year-old and is, 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 <laughs> she was not possessed, but you understand what I'm saying. She, and here, I, I knew it too. I could, the bait is just coming, I could feel that worm slapping in the face. Like, it's just coming from the back seat and it's just bait, bait, bait. And I'm driving, and I'm, I have worship on, and I'm like, don't take the bait, don't take the bait, don't take the bait. She's just 11, like, just 11, just love. In fact, if you, my greatest desire is to be a good parent. My, of, of, it's my greatest longing outside of knowing God is to represent the Lord well to my children. To be what Jesus said when he's, I'm gentle and humble in heart. I'm like, I want to represent that well in the way I parent them. And so, but there I was, bait, bait, bait. And we were about five minutes out, and I had been doing so well, and then I just, I took that bait, and I went from operating in the spirit and in love to just right there on an 11-year-old level. Bam, bam, bam. I mean, I... I was engaging in dialogue that was so stupid. I just so, if you, any parents, you, I was like, and I knew I was doing it, but I was so, my buttons had just been pushed and pushed and pushed, and I just, and I, it was like that patience that I've been holding on to, just the lid came off and, so, so this is on the way to our great end of year conference that we're hosting. So <laughs> we get out of the car and I go into worship and I am like, I am sitting there like, I did it. I knew I did it. Like I had to apologize, but I still felt terrible. I just had, it was, I'm sitting there and they're singing and everyone around me is worshiping and it's glorious. And I am like, Oh, I'm not supposed to be who I was in the car this morning. And none of these people saw me. And then I'm going to get up there and speak. And I'm going to feel so disingenuous, which is like the, a thing that I hate. I want to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, and, and this is what I'm telling you is that we have a doctrine of grace, but we get in moments where we don't live like it. It was like I needed to, it was as if maybe in three hours I'll have, I'll have felt like cleansed enough from what I did. Or if I, if I go make it right, then I can worship. And the Lord, I was sitting there and the, the Lord said to me, this is the very moment. This is the moment when you feel like a piece of dung and you feel like a fake and you feel like you shouldn't be here. This is the very moment that your worship is precious to me. 
because you're saying, I really do believe that you are my righteousness. I really do believe that you are merciful. I really do trust you. I and, and on top of that, thank God for these moments where we realize we actually do need him. <laughs> we, I, oh, I actually did need your blood today, God. I really messed up. I really did damage today, and I need you to wash me again. And so there he was in front of me saying, give me a drink. And I'm like, you don't want my drink. That's polluted. Didn't you see? Give me a drink. <laughs> Do you know how she must have felt? Why would the God of heaven want a drink from her gross well, her rejected, nasty well, but he wanted a drink so that he could give her a drink. This is the mystery of our God. For some reason, he loves this intimate interaction with us. He doesn't just like wipe you off and put you on a shelf so he can stare at you because you look nice when you're clean. So he can tolerate being in the same room with you. There is something of this, this, this mystery I don't have language for yet because I'm in awe that he wants something from me, that it moves him, that it does something to him. And so when First Peter says that you are a royal priesthood, you have no, your, your righteous works are rags, filthy rags. This is my problem, is that that day in the car, I felt yucky about myself, which is equally problematic on a day like today when like, oh, we were listening to the audio Bible and I walk in here and I feel good about myself. Equally problematic, right? Because on that day and on today, I've been washed by the blood of the lamb. And he's standing before me saying, give me a drink. And you see, he had to put his finger on her thirst. Because we all have a thirst. And, you know, you're... you're when I was 20-something, you know, my water pot looked like, like men. The well that I would want to drink from to make my thirst go away was men. And yours may be, I don't know, shopping. I don't know what, you're, what, what, what makes your thirst go away. What, what is your, you know, this, this is the thing that I marvel at. It says in verse 29, the woman then left her water pot. Whatever it was, she forgot. I, she's like, I don't even remember being thirsty or needing water. Something touched the deepest parts of who I am. And she runs into the city and says, it actually says that she said to the men, interesting. Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Maybe there was more to this conversation than we know of. Could this be the Christ? She actually evangelized a whole town. This woman 
There, the, um, I want to read you this um, from the Passion Translation. I wish I had it on a screen, but I, uh, I was so touched by this <clears throat> way that he describes um, this moment. Let me find it for you. Hang on. <clears throat> Are you feeling patient? Ah. This is the commentary on verses 6 through 8 when he says, give me a drink. Listen to this. The water Jesus wanted was the refreshing, satisfying pleasure of her devotion. He says to each one of us, nothing satisfies me except you. When the sinner drank of the Savior and the Savior drank of the sinner, both were satisfied. Neither ate or drank, but each satisfied the other. When he says, give me a drink, he's saying, just let me love you. This satisfies me to let me love you. Can I read it again? It's that good. I, I read it so many times this morning. The water Jesus wanted once. was the refreshing, satisfying pleasure of her devotion. He says to each one of us, nothing satisfies me except you. <laughs> when the sinner drank of the Savior and the Savior drank of the sinner, both were satisfied. <laughs> Can I get the worship team to come up? As Michael says, I hope you pick up what I'm throwing down, or however he says it. You picking up what I'm throwing down? How does that go? Are you picking up what I'm throwing down? Listen, I, I simply want you to know. He's all in all. And some of you are going, but what about good works? What about good deeds? What about, what about, what about, what about? It's all fruit. It's just all fruit. And we get in a very religiously uptight and we worry like, but what if, what if, what if, what if I, what if I don't do the fruit? It doesn't mean, no, it's the, the fruit is, comes from this place of intimacy. This is where it comes from. And you remember what, what, what makes you valuable. It's not all you're doing and you're volunteering and you're good working. You can stand up.
What if for the next couple moments you acknowledge you who got in a fight with your spouse on the way here, you who were ugly to your children, you who looked at porn last night, you who lied yesterday, you who have not picked up your Bible in a year, you who have, what if you believed that he saw everything and he still wants to meet you at this well and say, give me a drink? He, it's, it's, the thing is, I can't out-exaggerate. It's mercy. It's ridiculous. It's offensive. It offends me while I'm saying it. It's too good. But take a moment today to, <laughs> to acknowledge that he sees everything. He's in everything. And your love touches him. Your heart simply turned towards him in love moves the maker of heaven and earth and this is the kind of love that will be unstoppable this love will change a city this love will change a marriage this love will change a family